Welcome to Nutrition Bites, the no-nonsense podcast where you get the truth about food so you can eat what you want and be healthy. I'm your host, Maggie, and welcome to episode 18 of this series. Today's topic was inspired by a trip to the Austrian Alps, where the constant sight of cows grazing on lush mountain pastures got me thinking. On the menu today, the grass-fed label. Just like with 90s throwback fashion and grocery delivery, grass-fed cattle are having a moment. People are becoming more and more interested in where their food comes from. And the idyllic image of a spotted cow chomping on emerald green grass in a meadow really hits a foodie soft spot. At the very least, it's a more pleasing image than the more realistic scene of cattle corralled into crowded feedlots eating corn from a trough. The assumption of better animal welfare is just one of the reasons why more people are opting for grass-fed meat and milk. Another belief is that this label equals a purchase that is better for the environment and our health. But here's the catch. These are all assumptions based on our own interpretations of the term grass-fed. Because like with many other food labels, what it actually means is not so simple. So let's take a moment to unpack the term and figure out the truth. In order to dissect the label grass-fed, we first have to better understand cows, those lovable dopey giants that help feed the world. Cows are ruminants, a type of animal designed to eat grass. They have a crazy digestive system that is organized to metabolize what we consider indigestible. All cows are technically grass-fed once they are weaned off of their mother's milk. But at about a year old, most farmers will then switch their diets to grain, most of which is corn. One of the main reasons for this change is that a grain-based diet is perfect for fattening cows, and a fatty cow often means a tastier steak. Not only that, but a grain-based diet is usually cheaper for farmers and easier to manage, saving them both time and money. Now, the opposite of this corn or grain-fed diet would be grass-fed. And while there is no universally accepted definition, it's generally described as a diet consisting of grass and forage, things like hay and alfalfa. This grass-fed term is also often associated with restricted use of hormones and antibiotics, as well as regular access to a grazing pasture. But that's not always guaranteed because there is no one regulated definition of grass-fed. So the rules and guidelines change depending on where you live and who is claiming this label. There are also many related subphrases like 100% grass-fed or grass-finish that add to the confusion about what all this means. 100% grass-fed implies a grass-only diet after weaning, whereas grass-finished can refer to cows that were raised on grains and at some time before their slaughter were switched to grass. And because most cows are raised on grass for some part of their childhood or calvehood, I guess, they could all technically qualify as grass-fed. Adding to this wordplay confusion is that even the definition of grass can be up for debate. Some grass-fed claims may include a food type called silage, which consists of fermented grains. So who the heck knows what grass-fed really means? And unfortunately, it doesn't look like individual countries are going to provide clarity anytime sooner. 
Today, Canada, the U.S., and EU all lack a regulated definition of the term grass-fed. But this wasn't always the case. Back in 2006, the U.S. Department of Agriculture, USDA, created a grass-fed designation for beef. But after only a decade, it was removed. The reason is pretty stupid and classically bureaucratic. Essentially, one department in the USDA created the label, and another department was left to enforce it, but they didn't want to. And that infighting was enough to drop it altogether. It was a frustrating time for many grass-fed farmers and definitely halted progress on a universal definition. But that doesn't mean that this label disappeared from our stores and restaurant menus. Some companies still advertise grass-fed on their products, even though it can really mean anything and nothing. So to provide more structure to this space, a few independent organizations have created their own grass-fed certification programs. To get the American Grass-Fed Association cert on a product, cattle must be fed a 100% grass and forage diet from weaning, not be given any antibiotics or hormones, and be raised on a pasture on a good old American family farm. Sounds pretty ideal, right? Keep in mind, though, that these certifications cost money, and... Some farms may be too small to front the cash or take on the administrative burden. And ultimately, the onus is on you, the consumer, to research these third-party organizations and determine if the rules they use are aligned with your own values and idea of grass-fed. Annoying, right? Well, depending on where you live, there may be another small label hack that could be helpful here. Yeah, that's right. Label hack. This is a wild podcast. Organic is a popular and heavily regulated claim which can have a lot of crossover with the ethos of raising grass-fed cattle. In the EU, organic beef strongly restricts the use of hormones and antibiotics, recommends access to grazing areas, and requires 100% organic feed. In the US, the labels share similar guidelines and same with Canada, with the addition of more details on the cow's diet. In specific, Canadian organic cattle must be fed a diet where 60% of feed is grass or forage. I mean, it's not perfect, but we're getting closer to what many imagine the diets and lives of grass-fed cattle to be. But to burst your bubble once again, and I truly can't help it, we have to remember that many of these additional recommendations that come with the organic label are just that. Recommendations, not rules. At the end of the day, organic is not meant to cover all aspects of raising cattle. So while buying organic is a great choice, it doesn't necessarily include all the elements of an ideal grass-fed product. It's probably better to look for trusted third-party certifications or inquire with farmers, butchers, and dairy producers about what you're buying, which sounds like a ton of work. So is this even worth it? The grass-fed appeal boils down to three main assumptions. Healthier cow, healthier planet, healthier human. Temple Grandin, who's like the Beyonce of good cattle practices, says that grains are like cake and ice cream for cows. Utterly delicious and very fattening. But just like how humans shouldn't subsist off these treats, neither should cattle. It's simply better for their digestive system to eat grass. And when it comes to raising animals, it's no shocker that allowing cattle to roam freely in a pasture is more humane than packing them in a crowded barn. Assuming the best practices, grass-fed cattle do live a healthier lifestyle than grain-fed. Now, when it comes to the environmental angle of this comparison, 
things get hazy, as if this topic wasn't complicated enough. Like I've said in many other episodes, beef and, by extension, dairy are not planet-friendly foods. The number one change you can make in your diet to positively impact the environment is to decrease your beef intake. Full stop. But if you choose to eat beef or consume dairy, grass-fed cattle may make a difference. Cattle who roam freely on pastures are able to spread their manure over large areas, which is great for contributing to healthy soil and preventing pollution from mismanaged and crowded industrial farms. Another cool effect of keeping pastures for grazing is that it can actually help reduce greenhouse gases, or GHGs, through a process called carbon sequestering. Grass is naturally able to soak up and store carbon preventing it from being released as the GHG, carbon dioxide. So the more pastures we have, the better our ability to store or sequester extra carbon. Although it's not the Captain Planet solution we need to prevent climate change, it may be helpful. However, many experts argue that while carbon sequestering is a positive effect of grass-fed cattle, it can't compensate for the massive volume of GHGs associated with beef and dairy production. Also, because grass-fed cattle are alive for longer than their grain-fed brethren, remember they take about a year more to fatten up for slaughter, this means that they contribute more methane over the course of their lives. Not only that, but in order for some countries to raise grass-fed cattle, forests are cleared in order to create pastures. And oftentimes, grass-fed products sold in colder climates like Canada or the northern EU are imported, simply because it's easier and cheaper to raise these cattle in warm countries like New Zealand, Australia, and Brazil. Another big X on that climate change scorecard. So do the environmental cons outweigh the pros here? It's really hard to say. What is a bit more simple to talk about are the nutritional differences between grass and grain-fed cattle products. Despite the variation in what grass-fed can mean, studies comparing beef from grass versus grain-fed cows do show nutritional improvements. For starters, there are more antioxidants as well as vitamins A and E. But the level is so tiny that it actually doesn't really impact our health. A more important difference, however, is a change in fat, with grass-fed beef coming in more lean. And this makes perfect sense. Grain-fed cows gobble up their food like Augustus Gloop and get nice and chunky because of it. Grass-fed cattle, on the other hand, have a less fattening diet and get more exercise if they're out on the pasture. This results in grass-fed beef having about 5% less total fat compared to grain-fed. And although this difference is pretty small, what's even cooler is how the composition of the fat changes. Fat is a category of different molecules, and one of the most hyped ones in the health world are the omega fatty acids. These molecules are special because they positively contribute to our health and we can't make them ourselves. We have to source them from our diet. There are two main types of these special fats, omega-6s and omega-3s. Omega-6s are important for heart health and are found in foods like chicken, eggs, nuts, grains, and plant oils like sunflower, corn, palm, and canola oil. Now, because a lot of processed foods rely on cheap plant oils as an ingredient, This also means that we tend to get more than our necessary share of omega-6s. For omega-3s, the story is flipped. They are found in fewer foods, mostly flax seeds, chia seeds, walnuts, and salmon, and we tend to under-consume this nutrient. 
Omega-3s are also seen as superior A-list type fatty acids because they're associated with protecting against so many health issues, from heart attacks to cancer, depression, and dementia. Now, both omega-3s and 6s are also found in cattle products like beef and milk. And thanks to the diverse diet of a grass-fed cattle, beef from this animal contains around double the amount of omega-3s compared to grain-fed. But don't get too excited because the amount is pretty Ron Weasley measly. One serving of grass-fed beef may contain around 50 milligrams of omega-3s. But that's nothing compared to a serving of salmon, which has over 1,000 milligrams. Reality is, the overall quantity of omega-3s won't make or break your health, but another important difference exists. The ratio of omega-6s to 3s. And I realize that from total fat to total omega-3s to the omega ratio, it's like a really nerdy nutrition version of Inception here, but let's dive in. Both omega-6s and omega-3s are metabolized by the same enzymes in the body, which means one thing, competition. If more omega-6s are present in your diet, they will get processed and prioritized instead of omega-3s. So it's important that this ratio doesn't get out of whack so your body is able to utilize the omega-3s it ingests. Now, scientists haven't agreed upon an ideal ratio, but Generally speaking, a 5 to 1 ratio or less seems to be a good target for health. That means eating 5 omega-6s for every 1 omega-3. Unfortunately, the average omega-6 to 3 ratio in the Western diet is estimated to be way off kilter, closer to 15 to 1, thanks to all the processed foods we eat. So choosing foods with a smaller omega-6 to 3 ratio is recommended. Now, because omega-6s are found in grains, grain-fed cattle products have a higher omega-6 to 3 ratio. One study from the University of Toronto found that milk from grain-fed cows have an omega-6 to 3 ratio of 10 to 1, compared to milk from grass-fed cows, which came in at 3 to 1. Similar patterns are also seen in beef. And despite this looking positive for our health, this difference in omega ratio is incredibly inconsistent in grass-fed products. Because of the variation in the diet of the cows as well as their raising practices, the nutritional differences we see in beef and milk can vary a lot. And most importantly here is that there is actually very little evidence that shows eating these products make any actual difference to our health. If after this episode, you are more confused about whether buying grass-fed products is better for the animal, planet, and your health, good, you should be. This is not a straightforward topic. The lack of a regulated definition for this label causes a huge inconsistency in how the cattle are raised, what the impacts on the planet are, and the nutritional quality of the food. If you're really concerned about eating in a more humane, sustainable, and healthy way, I'd say skip the beef and milk altogether. But if you do want to indulge in these foods, your best strategy is to buy them as close to the source as possible. For many of us, that may involve asking questions at your local butcher and researching community-supported agricultural initiatives. After all, you are what you eat, and by proxy, what you are eating eats too. That's been the bite for today. Stay hungry.
Thanks for listening to Nutrition Bites. If you haven't already, please make sure to subscribe and rate this podcast and share with a friend. If you want to get in touch with me and send in a recommendation for a future episode, please follow me on Instagram at Nutrition Bites Podcast. Have a good one. Thank you.